Please join me in the litany of invitation and confession printed in your worship bulletin. We gather today on this final Sunday of the Christian year. We gather to celebrate the reign of Christ who unites all things. We indulge ourselves in what sounds like holy nonsense, for if Christ reigns over all, why is peace and love and justice and hope so scarce? We believe that the reign of Christ began as a small seed, quietly planted, and we believe it will one day reach full fruition. Forgive us, O God, for not living into this hopeful longing with our own hearts, and forgive our compliance with the evil. People of God, it is not our fate to bear heavy burdens of shame, or to strive to useless self-justification. God, who knows us completely, loves us completely. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. On this holiday weekend, as some of our families have been out traveling and going other places to see family and friends, but some of you have traveled here to be with us, and we're glad that you're here. I see folk from Virginia. I see folk from the West Coast, from California. So welcome home to this place. Uh, There is on the edge of the order of service a card that you can fill out. It's a welcome card. It'll help me connect name and face with you if you're a guest, a visitor today. And if you have a prayer request, any of you, you can place that on the card, drop that in the offering plate as well. And it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. So, welcome. This Sunday, as you heard in the uh, litany uh, that we began worship with, is the Reign of Christ Sunday. It's the uh, Christ the King Sunday, where we stand at the end of the liturgical year and then look forward all the way into the next year, because Advent 1 is next week, believe it or not. As we hear the text today, the first text will talk about God as the Good Shepherd, that tenderly cares for God's sheep. The second text will talk about how in Christ all things consist. And the third text will be from Matthew 25, that litany of acts of mercy, of uh, where God, God is among the prisoner, God is among the hungry, God is among the thirsty, and God is among us. So as we celebrate the presence of God among us, the people of God gathered, welcome. 
An Old Testament prophet preaches to God's people in exile. He speaks of God as a kingly shepherd feeding and caring for the sheep. A reading from the book of Ezekiel. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I'll bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the watercourses, and in all the uninhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the host, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the stray, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us say our prayers. Holy God, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts. Gratitude for the gift of life, for the gift of family and friends, for the gift of abundant grace, peace, and love, which overflows from your heart, flowing down to us like a never-ending ocean. We gathered around the table on Thanksgiving, and were well-fed, but we are conscious that not everyone was able to gather in this way. Some 41 million in America go hungry every day. Children, adults, senior citizens. Around the globe, millions of children are malnourished. And as your holy word says, humans cannot live by bread alone. But without bread, no human can live at all. We pray for the day in which your kingdom will come in its fullness, when the last tear shall be wiped away. But God, until that time, stir in our hearts an insatiable hunger to serve the poor, to bring food to the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit those in prison, to comfort those who are sick. And in that holy visitation, we hear the voice of Jesus. We see God in each person we serve as our neighbor. In each human service, we serve Christ our Lord. Holy God, on this Christ the King Sunday, on this last Sunday before Advent, we pray that you would end our violent arguments, our partisan wrangling, our finger-pointing animosity, end our rage and violence, end our fidelity to empire and human power. For seated above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, seated above every name is the one through whom all creation was made, the one who is head of the church, the one named Jesus, whom we call Lord, Savior, Messiah, King. The one who, while he was here on earth, taught us to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. For this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with your eyes of your heart opened, you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heaven, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above everyone that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has put all these things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him that fills it all. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. Come and take a seat. And Pastor Daniel will take your offering. (laughs) I am so glad that all of you are here today. So, scoot down one. I brought with me a snack pack. And some of you may remember this. We created these things a few weeks ago. Some of you were with us when we did this. We put some crackers. I have goldfish in here. A juice box. Do y'all remember when we did that? And what did we do with them? What were we making them for? Other people. Other people, yeah. Who don't have food. Yes, that's exactly right, Barrett. We made snack packs for other children at schools that don't have food on the weekends so that they would have snacks to eat all the weekend. So I brought it today to remind us of how important it is to help others. And there's actually a story in the Bible that Jesus tells talking about how important it is that we serve others, that we help others. And when we do, our hearts are filled. What do you think that means? It's like an overwhelming joy. Our hearts are filled with love for others. And not only that, when we help others, we 
build relationships. We have new friendships with other people. And that's great. We, we love to make new friends, right? That's important. So, what's coming up? Is Christmas coming up? Yes, and we just had Thanksgiving, right? We can use this time to think about giving and to helping others and how important that is. So, we're going to have more of these fun activities like making snack packs for kids throughout this season, okay? So, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for filling our hearts with so much love. Help us to help others and to be a representation of your love to others, to everyone that we meet. In your name we pray. Amen. This is the last in the Gospel of Matthew's long series of parables about the kingdom of heaven, and it reminds us to look for Jesus in the faces of persons who are hungry, thirsty, homeless, sick, and oppressed. You're now reading from the Gospel of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, 
and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or or thirsty and, and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked, and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick, or in prison, and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, who are members of my family, you did it to me. The Gospel of the Lord. I want to preach on a line that came from the second lesson that we heard read today from the epistle, where the writer says to the people in Ephesus and the surrounding area that they are to see spiritually through the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart. Every time I see a reference to vision or eyesight or seeing in the Bible, I pay attention because eye problems run in my family all the way from my grandmother who had glaucoma to my mother who had macular degeneration to myself who always is so nearsighted I can hardly see anything. But I remember the first day that I got glasses. I was in the third grade. My teacher had called my mother and said, I don't think it's a discipline problem I have with James, though she didn't rule that out. (laughs) I don't think it was a discipline problem, she said, but every time I'll pull out the flashcards, he gets out of his desk and comes and sits right in front of me, in front of the class. I tell him, go back to his desk, and he does, but by the end of the flashcards, there he is, sitting on the front uh, uh, area of the classroom again. She said, I think he needs glasses. Well, a few weeks later, I was tested, all that kind of thing, and got my glasses. And I remember them. I remember the first day I had glasses, and I said, just like all of you who are nearsighted people, I said, when I got those glasses, I now can see the individual leaves on trees. I didn't know that you could do that. It felt like I had a superpower all of a sudden. Seeing had changed my reality my perception of reality. And you know, if, if your perception of reality changes, then reality changes. It's pretty much what the writer said to the Ephesians. You have the eyes of your heart enlightened. In other words, by the grace of God, you've got a new pair of glasses. Everything and everybody now looks different. The prescription for our glasses today, I'm going to say as the pastoral ophthalmologist, is uh, that we all need trifocals. Yeah, I started with just single lenses back then, but then it went to the bifocals, and now it's trifocals. Maybe that's what we all need today on this Christ the King Sunday, this Reign of Christ Sunday. The last Sunday of the Christian year where we stand on tiptoe 
and we look all the way down the year's timeline, all the way past the next four Sundays, past the manger on the backside of Bethlehem, past the shepherds, past the wise men with their peculiar gifts to bring a baby, all the way past the uh, refugee immigrant family who sought sanctuary in Egypt, all the way past Palm Sunday, all the way past Easter Sunday, all the way to the end of time. We stand on tiptoe and look where at the end of time there will be a time loop soundtrack of Handel's Messiah that just plays over and over. He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take a breath there. Don't run past the railroad tracks. But all of eternity we will celebrate that. To be able to see that much on one day and in one sermon, we need to look with the eyes of the heart. That's what the trifocals will help us do. Help us see the God who is far away. Help us see God who is close up. And help us see God who is nearby. The first is the eyes of the heart see God in the far away, in the big picture. In today's Ephesians text, it says, God has put all things under Christ's feet, and the fullness of him fills all in all. Here's how it sounds from the letter to the Colossians. In Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, and in Christ, all things hang together. Hmm. Talk about magnitude and mystery. All things, all things hold together. Now, uh, here's a confession I have. And Ray, don't tell the people in Wisner, Louisiana, uh, this for me. Uh, the confession is that to see God as king or potentate no longer works for me. I mean, don't tell them that in, in Wisner. They'll, they won't let me back. <laughs> uh, both are concepts of God, but they're our concepts. God is bigger than our concepts and images. I think of God now as a unity, a singularity. Like the biblical writer said in Colossians, in Christ all things hold together. Here's how Barbara Brown Taylor said it in her book. Where is God, she asked. God is all over the place. God is up there, down here, inside my skin, and out. God is in the universe, the energy, the space, the light. Not captured in any one of them, but revealed in all of them. Revealed in that singular, vast network of relationships that animates everything that is. It is not enough, she says, for me to proclaim that God is responsible for all this unity, the very energy, the very things that puts the world together. Instead, she says, I want to proclaim that God is the unity, the energy, the intelligence, the very elegance and passion that makes it all go. Wow. 
I need that kind of grand, faraway, cosmic reminder when my world feels so stuck. Stuck in the mud, down in the weeds, with a malaise of, well, maybe I watch too much news and just say, well, what does it matter? And it socks me in as I fear what we have done to this planet and what we are doing to each other. At times like that, when I'm so down in my own stuff, it helps to look through the Hubble telescope, to look at those iconic images like the Eagle Nebula's Pillar of Creation. You've seen that. You may just not have known it was called that. In that picture, it captures these two multi-hued glows of gas clouds, wispy tendrils of dark cosmic matter, and elephants' trunks, the color of rust, rust that has been seared by hot radiation from young stars and then eroded by stout cosmic winds. That'll get you unstuck from uh, staring down your own navel. According to the biblical text, the creative cosmic Christ is the painter. The one who's painting on the canvas of the cosmos long before Jesus of Nazareth ever tied on a dusty sandal. Theologians have enriched me, but so have physicists. They speak of quantum entanglement. Now, I'm going to butcher this, so I'll depend on uh, Jim Mahaffey to straighten it out when you ask him questions later. I think Fulgencio Ferrer could uh, explain this also. Quantum entanglement. They talk about, they, they, these physicists say the strangest thing. They say that there are these things, these particles that are coupled together in pairs. And when one wiggles, the other one wiggles because they're coupled up. Now, Distance doesn't matter to these particles. One could be circling your head right now and the other one on the dark side of the moon. But they're connected and you wiggle one and the other one wiggles as well. They are entangled. They are in tandem. Franciscan theologian Richard Rohr says, well, maybe that's how prayer works. That in the force field of love, between and among the Trinitarian God, we are included, as are our prayers, and that the healings and the forgiveness and the answered prayers happen somehow almost like quantum entanglement. Now, that's a lot to see and a lot to believe, but with the eyes of the heart, we catch glimpses of God at work even far away. Here's a second thing. We also see God at work up close. I'm bowled over by the close-up verbs that, was, that were in that first text from Ezekiel. As Ezekiel spoke of God and spoke for God. God is the good shepherd who promises, listen, let's see if I can count them, to search for my sheep, to seek, to rescue, to bring, to gather to feed, to bind up, to strengthen. At least eight action verbs that are as intimate as God's compassion surrounding you. 
Sometimes it's easier to have compassion for everybody else than it is ourselves. Some of you have found the writings of Anne Lamont very helpful here. She's a matriarch of self-compassion and reminds us that we can use our mirrors to, com- to make us continually feel bad. We say, if only, we should, we could, and we end up shunning ourselves and wrapping ourselves in shame. But God happens close up. This wholeness of God that is out there is also right around here. The wholeness of God wholly holds us just like the shepherd holds Ezekiel's text. God's prevenient and pursuing grace is seen with the eyes of the heart as we see God up close, as close as our breath. God's far away, but God is also close up. One other thing. Third thing is we see in the trifocals, God is nearby. Far away, up close, but but nearby. Matthew 25 is the classic text that names the sanctuary of the sacred, and it is among the marginalized. The marginalized are not the mission field for us to fix. Rather, according to Matthew 25, they are the place where the holy hangs out. That is where we go find God, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the sick, the prisoner. To love these is to love God. They and God are nearby. Now, that must be pretty important, especially to those of you who help build this sanctuary, like you, Louise, because right back there is a doorway that contains one of those images. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. That's the stained glass window in the door. This one over here is I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. It goes all the way back by the sacristy, comes out over here. I was in prison and you visited me. In other words, the threshold of theology that we cross as we leave this place and enter that world is a sacred terrain. It's not that this is and that isn't, that is too. And we carry those images of mercy with us as we go. Um, Daniel Hedrick and our missions uh, committee have been composing this story. They put it together, and this is going to be available. It's the annual missions update for 2017. This picture is from right there in those faceted glass windows of some of our mission efforts. Here's a pair of uh, forceps with some uh, uh, medical tape. Here's a hospital bed, and there's a tooth. You don't often see a tooth in a uh, faceted glass window, but there it is. These, of course, are from the Honduras mission trip. Operation Touch that Bedford led us on years ago. I like it that there's an arm giving blood. You don't see that in a church window real often. But it says to us and reminds us that uh, the doing of missions is part of our own health and healing. In here are pictures of, well, this is from our Super Bowl Sunday where we raise about $1,400, $1,500 for world hunger. Here's Touching Tolliver with love. There's Susan. Huh, look at there. It's Caitlin Cook Fur. 
introducing us to the Zeta family that she's been helping us love and tend to. There is uh, Molly Harlan Aziz, who's there at the Stewart Center. Here's Dave Wooten and Barbara Atchley and the family that is working with us to build the Habitat home. All of these are our stories because spirituality requires practicality, and it's in our DNA that the nearby God requires our investment. I was asked to pull some of these values that we have and other churches have together in a prayer two weeks ago. The congregation that I used to pastor up in northern Virginia has now called a co-pastor team. And they were celebrating and covenanting with the co-pastors. And they'd asked one former pastor to, to write a prayer for the co-pastors to pray. That was Mahan Siler who wrote that. They asked another former pastor to write a prayer for the congregation for them to pray. I was the one that was asked to do that. I reminded them and reminded God that they were doing what I did in the third grade. That I was putting on a pair of glasses and that pair of glasses changed me. And the pair of glasses that Ravensworth Baptist Church put on were glasses of grace that changed them, their world, and me as well. I adapted a benediction from William Sloan Coffin, former pastor of Riverside Church in New York City. This requires the trifocals of faith about the eyes of the heart to see the faraway God, the up-close God, the nearby God. It's sort of like an optical prescription. I give it to you. Take it and get it filled this week. Sloan Coffin said, God, give us the grace never to sell ourselves short. The grace to risk something big for something good. And the grace to remember that this world is now too small for anything but truth and too dangerous for anything but love. Watch for God this week, far away, up close, nearby. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is said, an invitation to dedication is given, where we name that we're in this together as part of our quantum entanglement. We sing a hymn that helps connect the dots for us. Today's hymn text is a new one, but it's an old tune that you'll recognize. I particularly like the third stanza. 
It says, as we worship, grant us vision till your love's revealing light in its height and depth and greatness dawns upon our quickened sight. Let us stand together and sing. Uh, good morning. We come this morning with concerns and celebrations and announcements, and I bring a few of those to you this morning. Last week, we had a terrific time at the community uh, Thanksgiving at St. Anne's. 
Uh, this was the uh, bulletin that we placed around the church. Uh, we had uh, an interfaith gathering of Vahavath Akim and several other churches uh, in the area. And there, were, um, there was a contribution by one of our very own, Greg Dwyer, who uh, baked some um, goods that we ate of uh, in preparation for our high-caloric intake Thanksgiving. So we had a lot to eat last week, and we had a delicious time together. Um, the, James mentioned the, uh, the missions publication will be available. There's a few copies um, in the narthex. Um, as you walk out, it'll be on the table, so be looking for that. Just wanted to make you aware of that, where that was. Uh, the church council will meet um, tomorrow night. Um, wanted to remind you of that. Church council tomorrow evening. Uh, and then next Sunday, it will be the Hanging of the Green Sunday. And just wanted to orient you to the times for that. Uh, at 9.30, we'll gather in the Art and Soul classroom for some snacks and coffee and fellowship. And then the service will begin at 9.45. And it will be a very child-friendly service. In fact, the children uh, will lead us in that service at 945. It will be done by 1025. So uh, be aware of those time frames for next week and looking forward to that. Wanted to make you aware, as many of you know, that um, Chuck Stein's mother, Libby Stein's, died on November 25th. So be praying for Chuck and Mona and the Stein's family. Her funeral will be on Wednesday, and if you need more information, you can inquire of James or myself. Our prayers extend, of course, to the Steins family and others who have unvoiced concerns this morning, and uh, in Egypt, where there was a mosque attack with over 305 dead, uh, another place of worship violated in, in the world. We lift our prayers to God. And in our grief, all, as always, when we gather together as Christians, hope and joy is always close by, and um, the offertory hymn this morning, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. We bring our hope, we bring our joy as we continue the worship of God with the giving of our tithes and offerings.
O loving God, our voices rise like quintet harmony, seeking to express our joy, our hope, our love, and be grateful for all that you've given us. Bless us on this weekend of thanksgiving, but also on this week ahead as we prepare for Advent. Bless and help and heal and hold us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It is important to be a community of faith, a community of faith that is almost like family. And anytime we have somebody that turns 100 years old this week, we have to tell them how much we love them. And that would be Dr. Radar B. Ornard. Are any of the rest of you turning 100 years old this week, by the way? I mean, <laughs> some of you feel that way. Some of us look that way. Uh, but Radar is turning 100 years old this week. And I wanted to say, we're, we're going we're gonna to thank God for God in a moment, but I want to thank God for you. For you have been an example of a studious scholarship. You've been an example of a loving husband. And you've been an example of a good Christian, whether you believe that or not. That is what we believe. We've already sung happy birthday to you, so we won't have to do that again, do you think? No. No. <laughs> 
also give thanks for your humble humor, too. So, Radar and the rest of you, may the strength of Christ uplift you. May the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you. And may the grace and mercy of God give you hope, give you courage, this day and every day, as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.